This is Isaka's Page 2 Podcast. Thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Brian Fletcher, Research Advisor for ISACA. Joining me today to break down the ESET T1 threat report is Tony Ascom, Chief Security Evangelist for ESET. Tony, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's great to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and ESET? I certainly can. So for those of you that don't know ESET, I mean, or, or those of you that do as well, we you may know us as an antivirus company. It's a little bit more uh, than that these days. Yeah, it's an anti-malware product, and actually, we're very engaged in from all the way from enterprise with thousands and thousands of users, where we provide uh, either managed services or EDR, MDR type services. So, software that's actually looking at what's going on in your organization and looking for anomalies in traffic and, and things like that, all the way back down to the endpoint as well. And it's super important that actually organizations of certain sizes look at both ends of this spectrum because endpoint is preventative and things like monitoring and logging and looking for those anomalies is somewhat reactive. So it's important to have both pieces of those puzzles in your cybersecurity infrastructure. So just to cover off who I am, Brian, I'm Tony Anscombe, Chief Security Evangelist. Uh, yeah, I, that's a grand title. What it really means is I wander around the world talking about cybersecurity trends, legislation, uh, thought leadership in the, in the area, and different parts of what's happening in the industry. I rarely talk about our products because actually the threat landscape and what's going on in cybersecurity, I think, is super interesting. So I tend to focus my topics around there. Tony, I totally agree. I actually read the, the threat report. I found it very interesting, very detailed. So let's just jump right in and talk about it. Your team's been on the news and internet recently regarding your research on the cyber attacks in Ukraine. What discoveries stood out to you the most? And how does the war in Ukraine affect the average internet user? Well, let, let's talk about the, the the first attack that we saw in there. The first one, uh, we saw some data wiping technology being used. And interestingly, that was actually deployed. So something we called hermetic wiper. And that was actually used the day before uh, Russia put ground troops into, into Ukraine. And what's interesting about that is exactly what it says on the tin. It's a data wiper. You know, you and I are used to hearing about ransomware where data is encrypted and held for a demand. This is actually a data wiper. It cleans off the machine and removes the data. Now, what's interesting about this particular version is it also had a spreading mechanism, but it also had hermetic ransom. And I say that because why after you wipe a machine would you then deploy a ransomware style piece of malware on the same device? And the reason being is because it makes the device un unrecoverable. And it also removes a lot of the forensics that might be gleaned from actually how did they do this and what the malware was, et cetera, et cetera. So that was super interesting. But then if we kind of fast forward slightly, that we then saw another data wiper uh, post the invasion of Ukraine, so middle of March, uh, something called Caddy Wiper, and then on the 8th of April, working with the CERT in Ukraine, uh, we thwarted an attack against critical infrastructure, namely the power grid in Ukraine. Uh, and this was this is something we've named Indestroyer 2, and the reason it's got that 2 on the end, we've seen this before, and we've seen this in an attack against Ukraine power infrastructure back in 2016. This is a, a variant of that malware. It's 
uh, industrial control system malware. So slightly off of the grid, I think, of most most people that may actually be listening. So this is, yeah, in effect, malware that sits on the black box that's running some type, uh, some part of the electrical substation. When we saw it back in 2016, it actually turned the power off for about an hour in certain parts of parts of Ukraine. And at the time, our researchers turned and said, it was nearly like this was a proof of concept. Somebody was proving their malware works. And it's very specialized because you have to actually understand how these black boxes that sit in substations are actually working, how they're, how they're how the firmware in them actually interacts, et cetera, et cetera. So this is very, very specialized. And we saw that attempting to be deployed again on the start in the start of April. And it was being deployed along with a data wiper. So Caddy Wiper was being used alongside of it. So again, that's an attempt to clean up the root in, you know, cause uh, less forensic evidence and, and such like. Fortunately, this was a thwarted attack, but it was a significant attack because it shows that actually this was an attack against uh, critical infrastructure. Now, somewhere between 2016 and that attack in, uh, in in April this year, different agencies around the world, and we, we try to stay away from attribution when we see malware that we can't fully attribute, and we leave that to governments and, and specialized units to, to tell us who was behind it. That's attributed to Sandworm, and Sandworm is then attributed to certain parts of uh, the Ru uh, Russian state. So, and that's well doc well documented. So, Tony, that was very interesting. I know in my previous position here in the U.S., I worked in an airport, and we found it very uh, frightening when uh, Kiev was attacked earlier in, or in the past, and they actually had to go back to paper tickets. So, I mean, this has obviously been an ongoing thing. But I was curious, anything else did you discover that the average internet user needed to be concerned about coming out of your recent report? Absolutely. And, you know, if we look at when uh, the conflict started back in February, one thing that cyber criminals, and I, and I say cyber criminals in this particular instance because it's about the monetize, unfortunately about monetizing their efforts. If we look at what happened around that moment, Cyber criminals retask their entire infrastructure when they see something significant happen in the world. We saw it at the start of the pandemic regarding COVID. So they jump on the fact that people needed you know, protective equipment or, or more details about what was going on. You see it when there's you know, Olympics. You see it when anything happens in the world. And this one was no different, unfortunately. So you suddenly saw an influx of scams appearing on the internet be it phishing scams with fraudulent websites behind them saying, you know, can you support the refugee crisis in Ukraine? Donate here, you know, send us Bitcoin. We're going to make sure it gets to the right places, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is just a retasking. You know, these cyber criminals have an infrastructure where they load up some Im images and they can push a button and that campaign gets out really quickly and much faster. The, you know, if you talk to any commercial company and say, can you put a campaign of that nature out into market within hours, you know, we're all going to say, you know, all, all commercial companies are going to say, no, it will take us a few days, it will take us a week, we have to retask our teams. Unfortunately, that's not the case uh, for cyber criminals. They push the button and it comes out really quickly. So, yeah, absolutely, you know, people want to be really cautious of not clicking on anything that lands in their inbox that they weren't expecting. You know, if you want to make a donation to you know, the refugee crisis or whatever it might be, 
then do it through an official channel. You know, go to the United Nations or go to your government website and make a donation where you know it's actually legitimate. Thank you, Tony. So I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about, did you have any other major takeaways from your high-level statistic trends in your report? Well, one of the things, big things I think in there, over the last couple of years, we've talked about RDP attacks. Uh, now, that's where RDP is the remote access protocols used for uh, for Windows users. So that's where one machine can take over the controller of another. So, you know, while you're out of the office, you can still uh, connect into the office and look like you're on the network. And we see, we've seen massive increases. And when I say massive increases, I'm talking about increases of hundreds and hundreds of percent, you know, through to actually there being billions of attempts against open RDP uh, systems. Uh, and when I say open, that means the RDP service is being advertised on on publicly on the internet. And we've seen like I say, billions of attempts and a lot of them being unique so I, I, against individual different RDP systems. Now, that's in our own telemetry. Now, what's interesting, we've been talking about this increase now for two years. For the first time in the T1 threat report, so in this particular report, we saw a decline. We saw a decline of 43% atta uh, of attacks against RDP. So it shows that actually the trend is, is changing. Now, that probably is directly relational in part uh, to maybe the conflict in Ukraine because uh, a lot of those attacks were coming from within, uh, were originating from Russian IP addresses. Uh, but it's also probably a sign that actually a lot of us gone, have gone back to the office and a lot of these RDP systems may actually be starting to, one, be secured or two, being turned off. So, Tony, I found that very interesting. So I'm also curious about did East research find any differences between the attacks on Ukraine and other cyber attacks that you've seen, the, the trends and the analysis? Well, so one thing that is interesting is there was a very slight decline in ransomware. Uh, however, that depends on where you were geographically in the world. So when I say a slight decline, I mean, I'm talking about single digit percentage points and no, no you know, don't go celebrating and popping the champagne cork and think ransomware over it because it clearly isn't. Uh, but what we did see was ransomware being used in somewhat of an amateurish way because some of it wasn't very sophisticated, but it was actually being used against uh, Russia. So we saw more attacks in in uh, against Russian uh, Russian organizations. And when I say it was not sophisticated, I yeah, it was using different screens, and some of them were actually talking about glory to Ukraine, but actually in uh, Russian or Ukrainian language. We tended to see Russia avoided as a target before, whereas I think the tables have been slightly turned at this time, and people are using using it and data wipers against there. But you know, be well aware that ransomware, I think, is in my view becoming more focused. It's uh, more about uh, it's becoming a long game. If we look at how cyber criminals are using ransomware. It's about attacking organizations, about infiltrating an organization, being in that organization for a period of time, looking around, working out what data is important, working out how the business is actually operating, extracting the data, so exfiltrating that onto a different server out on the dark web, you know, disabling security systems where possible, and then actually launching the, the ransomware as kind of the last point in that piece in that puzzle. Um, so this is a very long game, which is also why it's important to have you know, both that 
preventative piece of technology securing systems and also understanding what's going on in your network and looking for traffic anomalies and such like through, through EDR. This episode of the ISACA podcast is brought to you by ESET, the global leaders in cybersecurity research and innovations. ESET is at the forefront of cybersecurity research. Hundreds of experts in 13 R&D centers all around the world are busy every day anticipating new threats and ensuring that our protection is always ready for the next step of progress in technology. These global research labs drive the development of ESET's uniquely multi-layered technologies that go far beyond the capabilities of basic antivirus. ESET Protect Advanced includes ESET's essential security products to help you build a multi-layered security profile with one convenient bundle. This package combines endpoint security with full disk encryption and cloud sandbox analysis for next-level protection against today's increasingly sophisticated attacks, including zero-day exploits, ransomware, and advanced persistent threats, or APTs. For the remote workforce, it adds an extra defense against phishing and other scams and encrypts data at rest on each user's devices. It's completely manageable through the ESET Protect Cloud Council, improving total cost of ownership. Right now, ESET Protect Advanced is 20% off, and you can try it before you buy. Get your free ESET business trial and save 20% at business.eset.com. So, at least based on what you're talking about, it seems like the actual end game for many of these attackers hasn't changed much. They're still looking about where they can make money. Do you see this as a this presence continuing into the future or do you see things changing? Unfortunately, I don't see that changing. If we think about you're a cyber criminal and you've been running a business uh, of ransomware, and let's let's define it as that because I think it is that, and you, you've got a team of people that are actually working for you and maybe an external set of affiliates that are doing the actual uh, initial infiltration. If you're making millions and millions of dollars, and let's be clear, you know, if we look at some of the issues last year, uh, you know, we had Colonial Pipeline at $4.4 million through to CNA Financial, who paid $40 million. So there are big ticket, you know, there is a lot of money involved. And while there's that much money involved, unfortunately, cyber criminals are going to come after it. You're not going to shut that business down. So I don't think this is going away anytime quickly. Now, you are seeing some differences in the market where uh, there are different disclosure rules and uh, countries are, are trying to get a grip on this. But the disclosure rules aren't preventative. The disclosure rules are exactly that. They're disclosure rules about post about something that happened. But I expect you know, some trend at some stage, countries will start to maybe ban the payments through cryptocurrency or make it difficult for companies to pay. You're starting to see regulation in different industry sectors. So here in the US, the SEC currently have uh, some proposed cyber, cyber incident reporting rules. And one of the things on there is uh, not only the reporting of a cyber incident, but also that uh, do you have cybersecurity skills within your board members? So those type of questions, I think, are going to up the game for a lot of companies because if a cyber incident has to become public and you have to report it to a financial exchange, and by the way, you've got a cybersecurity person sitting on your board, there's a likely to be a bigger focus, bigger budgets put behind it, 
and uh, better protection put in place. Well, speaking of protection, I want to talk about our old friend Imhotep. So uh, your report talks about the threat detections rose by 20.1% in 2022. So what do some of these threats look like? And uh, talk a little bit about the return of Imhotep, because I had some personal experience with it, and believe me, it was no fun. Well, and as you'll know, there was uh, an attempted takedown of the Emotet network, and that infamous malware, which is spread primarily through spam email, unfortunately has come back, and it's come back with somewhat of a resurgence. And the operators of Emotet have been spewing out spam campaigns after spam campaigns in the first four months of the year, with detections actually growing by more than a hundredfold. And these campaigns rely on malicious macros used by Microsoft Office. And unfortunately, you know, that's, that's an issue. Now, I, I know Microsoft are also trying to make some changes in the way Office works or the way some of the macroing works as well to try and get this as a lower, lower problem. But unfortunately, you know, when somebody turns on a, a network of that size and starts pushing out that much spam, we're going to get victims, and that's unfortunately where we're we're back with Emotet. So I'm kind of curious, actually, uh, to hear your personal experience of that. Well, I like I said, as I alluded to earlier, I worked at an airport, and it was uh, Emotet's spamming email being sent to our users, and them clicking on it, and us having to c- contain that and then clean it up. Fortunately for us, we had some ISAC AISAC group helped us, and so did uh, Department of Homeland Security, but you know, it's it's definitely a very very nasty software and can and can spread very rapidly and do a great deal of damage. So the fact that it has returned, uh, whoever happens to be the victim of it, they have my sympathy. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we did see them actually doing was was uh, testing other compromise vectors. So actually testing small uh, small groups with different samples, and yeah, that shows they're actually they're actually looking to see. In effect, what's the most, yeah, you know, what's the most effective thing to actually put out? And in effect, doing A/B test, I suppose A/B testing of different different samples to see which one's going to uh, give them the greatest reward. Yeah, when I said these cyber criminals run a business, I think it really is, unfortunately, yeah, a business with probably dashboards and, and metrics. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and while we're talking about monetization. One of the things you talk about in the report is about cryptocurrency threat had declined, but we had a lot more high-profile hacks where millions of tokens were compromised. Can you talk about that a little bit? And do you see any changes in the threat to cryptocurrency, or is it just too early to tell? Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? The crypto, the whole cryptocurrency market is is an interesting one because of the decl- current decline in the value of cryptocurrency, which means actually, if you're crypto mining it legitimately, you might actually be making less money because what you're being paid out in cryptocurrency may actually not be as valuable. So, will that cryptocurrency threat push more coin mining where somebody's stealing the resources of your machines or your devices? Maybe. But what we actually saw was a decline of nearly 30% in cryptocurrency threat activity. But yeah, that does again, that doesn't mean this is going away. It just means the focus is not there at that moment in time. Now, you talked about some of the hacks on some of those bigger exchanges. Now, if we look at primarily how cryptocurrency works and we look at some of those threats in those cryptocurrency exchanges, 
a lot of them are what I define as re- relatively relatively understandable cyber threats. And what I mean by that is think about your cryptocurrency, you hold it in a wallet, and the key to the, the wallet is a cryptography key. And if somebody gets that cryptography key, then they can access your wallet. Now, if somebody, if a cyber criminal can get access to an exchange and get a lot of those keys, then they can go and strip people's accounts or whatever. Or if the cryptocurrencies are being held in accounts and actually not in wallets, the, the exchange is holding them in some way. And if we look at a lot of those attacks, yeah, they're using phishing, they're using different chat systems where they're putting in malicious links, which are also phishing. Yeah, so they're basically stealing the credentials for people's cryptocurrency wallets and stealing their cryptocurrency. And unfortunately, that's just like virtually all, you know, a lot of other cybercrime. It's social engineering on human behavior. Very true. I mean, my experience with this was phishing was always our largest attack vector. So speaking of phishing and working remotely, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you talked about your report how email threats went up. Do you see that trend remaining so, or as possibly more people return back to work, do you see that trend going down? Well, actually, the rise in email threats primarily, I think, was probably uh, you know the Emotet operators coming back onto line. So we saw a 36.8% increase in uh, malicious, yeah, malicious email threats. And if you then put in the fact that Emotet came back online, uh, with a, with a, that reinvigorated campaigns, then unfortunately, that's probably where that is. Is this something that's going to go away anytime soon? Uh, no, because unfortunately, phishing does work. And yeah, I actually think longer term, it may actually become more and more targeted. You know, whereas a cyber criminal might actually create a, a phishing campaign that's, that gets sent to a mass audience if you can think about what all the data that's sitting on the dark web, all these different data data breaches and the, the information about individuals that then gets dumped on the dark web, if cyber criminals start putting these PCs together, it will nearly be like phishing campaigns can be spear phishing campaigns because suddenly it will be, hey, Tony, we noticed you purchased this last week and we know you've got an account here and we know you like you know Ford F-150s or whatever it might be. If suddenly they've got enough information from different data breaches that makes the email sound legitimate and personal, then there may actually be a higher probability that somebody will click a link. And and I think that's the way it's going. And if we if we look at some of the deep fake technology that's in the market and deep fake, you know, not only video but also audio, then I think it's going to become challenging for people to actually detect phishing going forward. So speaking of phishing and identity theft. I noticed in your report, you talked about an increase of 170% of Android-type spyware being detected. How can the individual user counter this, or is there anything they can really do about this undetectable threat? Well, so firstly, it's not undetectable. So if you've got uh, on an Android device, I strongly recommend actually somebody put uh, an anti-malware solution, so a cybersecurity product such as ESETs on the device. Uh, and make sure that the, the product is active and running. So it's super important. But let, let's let's talk about what that spyware is. So it doesn't actually spyware is collecting information. So it's doing exactly what it says on the tin. It, it's yeah, it's spying on you and looking for sensitive data, and it's extracting that sensitive data. And then what the attacker is doing is aggregating that. So now imagine all the things that are on your 
on your mobile phone. It's probably the well, it's probably the most personal device that's ever been existing. So even if you think about what you used to do on a laptop or a desktop computer or what you still do on them, you know, what's on your mobile device becomes way, way more personal because it's all your messaging and such like. So what the attacker will do is is take that da- uh, the data they can ac- actually access by having a piece of spyware, a piece of malware sitting on the device, and they're going to aggregate it with other data, and then basically they're going to go onto the dark web and sell that. And some of that data may well be used for identity theft. It could be wor- uh, you know, it could be worse. It could be used for sextortion, uh, or it could be used for other different types of uh, you know, monetizing capabilities that the that the malware writer is is looking or how they're looking to monetize it. So the important thing is, is make sure you've got an active anti-malware product running on the device and make sure that it's up to date. Always very good advice, Tony. So one last question here. I was curious, this was a very detailed report. I actually learned a lot by reading it, but was there anything in particular you wanted to bring up that we didn't hit in our discussion here? Well, I, th- I think, you know, one of the things that we've heard over that, certainly that first four months of the year, we've heard, uh, here, certainly here in the US, we've heard the Shields Up campaign being run by CISA, and we've heard about attacks ha- happening on critical infrastructure in Ukraine, which we've already discussed and such like. Now, what was expected was this, would there be a huge cyber attack that then affected lots of other businesses or, or critical infrastructure in other companies uh, or countries where you know there was support for for Ukraine? That's super interesting because that didn't didn't fully happen. But it doesn't mean we should let our guard down because if somebody does launch a, a cyber attack that affects one region, we know that it can actually spread very quickly. So if we go back and look at for example, NotPetya, it, which was an attacker uh, using a piece of software in Ukraine against ME-Doc, it spread internationally and it spread pretty quickly and affected lots of big international companies. So I think my, my one big takeaway from this is while you may read the threat report and, you know, and, and read different trends going on here, I think the overarching thing for me here is actually cyber resilience and go and review plans that you're, you have in place Make sure your business is actually in a position that if a cyber incident happens, you know what to do, you know how to respond to it, you've actually practiced the scenario and what parts of the business can actually operate and how they might operate under the circumstances of a cyber incident being in play. So that would be my big takeaway is go dust off that cyber resilience plan. Thank you again, Tony. That was really outstanding advice. So you and I could probably chat all day about this, but we're running out of time. So I wanted to thank you again for chatting with us. I wanted to mention that our users can find the ESET report with the links below. And I wanted to ask you if you had anything else you wanted to add before we went. Well, yeah, the last thing I, the last thing I definitely had is don't click links. If links turn up in your email box, yeah, don't click, just don't click them. Go to the website and directly. Yeah, and that would be my big takeaway for everybody. And if you're a business, please turn on multi-factor authentication. If you haven't done it already, you should have done it and go and do it now. Again, excellent advice, Tony. Thank you very much for joining us. Again, my name is Brian Fletcher and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 